Hello, and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to give our first impressions of the Fantasy Flight Star Wars Edge of the Empire system. Before we do that, Buddy, you want to tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? On this podcast, we talk about games. And a type of game that we haven't talked about in a long time is a tabletop RPG. Um, and short-time listeners of the cast will remember that last week we talked about the new Fantasy Flight Edge of the Empire game that we are starting up, uh, which I am GMing. A bunch of our friends are playing in, including, obviously, uh, my good my good friend Mango. Um, and so we wanted to talk a little bit about our first impressions of the system so far, having been two six-hour, uh, but really only kind of like maybe nine hours or so of like sessions in the first session was kind of like half creating characters and then like a little bit of play. Um, yeah. And so, we're still, and yeah. we're still kind of feeling out the system. Um, although I do, yeah, I there's will... a lot that I do yeah. not, uh, that I do not know about like the system. A lot of my time is spent just kind of like picking up rules on the fly. Yeah. So it, just to start from the top, the, the core resolution system is you have, skills and you roll it against challenges which is you know kind of like most systems but instead of rolling like you know numbered dice you roll very special proprietary dice and they have symbols on them and you compare the symbols on them and uh and uh it depending on which symbols there are more of determines whether you succeed or not in addition to this it has this unique mechanic where in addition to success you have threats and uh, advantages as well as triumphs and despairs which all have like slightly different flavor to them um uh how do you feel about the system so far for everything from like you know the uniqueness of the dice to like this kind of like bimodal success system uh i really enjoy the simplicity of success or failure right um where it is not about you know, so like in a Pathfinder game, right? Like you roll the dice, you apply these modifiers, then you measure the roll against, you know, a DC or whatever. In this situation, it is so clear to sort of read the die and just see it worked or it didn't, right? Which I really appreciate, and I like that. Um, I like that quite a bit. Um, I also enjoy, in general, that like the difficulty is something that I can just kind of say, this is an easy check, this is a hard check, this is a, you know, uh, a daunting check or whatever um, to get something out of, like, the player, right? Can they roll an easy knowledge warfare? Can they roll a daunting slice, you know, computers check or something kind of like that? Um, that that feels pretty good um, in from, uh, from, from my end, I guess. Um, so I guess I, so I guess I like the core system. Uh, that said, there, there are some, I do always sort of have these questions about like, when should I be adding bonus die? When should I be adding setback die? When should I be upgrading things into challenge die? Um, and I feel like a lot of that comes with sort of like the nitty gritty mechanics that I'm more or less missing since, you know, we only basically realized we wanted to do this about two weeks ago. Um, but like... I, I, I guess I kind of feel like things have been a little bit easy for you guys, and I wish I had made them harder in retrospect. That, that makes sense. Um, I think part of it is that, like, experience with the system, right? Like, this is, like, figuring out what conditional bonuses go where, right? Um, part of this, too, is also that, like, um, because they are easy, it's, like, so, like, part of the, or at least part of my exposure to, so, just to kind of step, take a step further back, me and another friend in front of the cast, Charles, um, got into the system 
through a podcast I have mentioned when I was listening to it called Campaign um, that runs on this that runs on the system. Um, there was like an actual play, um, but uh, they were like good about like talking about like what should be bonuses, what should be setbacks, right? Like all the all that kind of good stuff, and it worked because like every like it was it was a little bit more collaborative and also people f- had they had a better feeling for like what that was supposed to look like i think um and i think once once you know you, you get some more sessions under your belt that would also make sense it's also a little i think when you're playing around a table right because i have play, i played this at gen con around a table um setting up the dice pool is much easier because like it's like you know you you, you pick dice up off the table it actually makes reading the resolution a little bit harder because you know you have to kind of figure out what the what the actual result is um, yeah that was something that i really enjoyed about it is how easy it is when you're playing on the dice roller to just see okay success two failures you don't have to do any of the canceling out yeah um, yeah yeah, uh, then that's contrasted by the fact that it's harder to build a dice pool <laughs> because the uh, yeah 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 uh, because it's it's just not as uh, it's not built as as, uh, as streamlined as possible, especially because it is a proprietary set of dice, which is its own annoyance. But like, I, I think I think it fits the system fairly well. Um, uh, on top of that, I think one of the bigger challenges of the system is separating out what a what an advantage is from a success and what a threat is from a failure. Um, especially since like, and then triumph and despairs are like more to- closely to the success failure metric. It, it's just hard to kind of understand what a, you know, failure five advantage check means, especially like in combat, it's a little bit easier because they give you like some very kind of solid guidelines as to, you know, what, what, yeah. what advantage should translate out to in terms of, uh, uh, in terms of the combat parts, but like if you roll a perception check, I guess perception is a little bit easier because you can just point out like you notice other things, right? Like, um, which I think has its own weird side effects, kind of like, you know, like, well, if you really want to give the party some information, right? Like have them roll a check for something else. And if the generated advantage should then tell them. Yeah, um, well, so something that's interesting about that is I, it keeps me on my toes more, which is, you know, like nice and like neat in a way. Um, cause it like encourages that level of improv to sort of just be like thinking on your feet. So for instance, this manifested in our session on Friday, um, where the overall goal of the session was there's a listening post on a planet. The PCs need to infiltrate the listening post and set a broadcast that says all clear, even though the enemy fleet is about to attack. Um, so that they don't get any warning of that ambush attack, right? Right as these guys get out of hyperspace kind of thing. Um, and so the, uh, the, the session, I had built in a bunch of different, you know, like a bunch of different things. And you guys triggered a lot of these, right? Like you learned about, you know, you found out from somebody, the different makeup of like the crew that's manning the listening post. You found out about these tensions between the crew and the listening post and the platoon that's stationed in the nearby town. Um, you found out about Silas, uh, which was like a previous attempt at, um, which was like a previous attempt at getting into the the building using a certain kind of strategy and how that like you know they got in the building that way, but then it all went south. You know, like all these other sorts of things and that stuff I had all planned ahead. But then I was faced with this situation where I was looking at advantages and disadvantages, and it forced me to kind of be like okay, well, they just rolled, like, a bunch of threats, even though it was a success. How do those threats manifest? And a lot of the times, they were manifesting in things off screen, right? So, for instance, um, 
Do you remember the part where she comes out and she shoots the two informants? Yeah, so the reason that she does that is because the bartender, uh, the Toydarian bartender, also picked up on the conversation and relayed it and relayed it up the hill um, first. Uh, but the but the Toydarian saw through the ruse, so the the Toydarian was like, "This is obviously incorrect." And, you know, there's something afoot here. That kind of ended up not mattering because of the direction that everything took. You write, like, obviously, Boss Blackspine is going to attack the Golden Armada troops who are attacking the Listening Post back or whatever. But, like, that was a that was a manifestation of threats that you guys didn't really get to see. But, like, I had to sort of create something on the fly because of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think, again, with practice, it, you'll get, like, we'll, we'll all get better, right? We'll all get better at, like, maybe mm-hmm. suggesting things. And like, yeah, I feel like there were a lot of advantage. Like, part of it is also like I feel a little bit weird about using your advantages for you in a way. Um, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I, I want to do it because I'm like, oh, I have a really great other thing that they could go for. Because uh, like, you know, this was obviously a mission that was like very pregnant with like information and stuff to learn and, and do. Um, but uh, but there are also there's also a question of like, do I let the PC dictate how his advantages are being? adjudicated yeah i i think i think the system wants the pcs to kind of take that um take take that initiative and like do cool stuff with that um yeah although it's a little bit harder to do on on like normal skill checks right it's like you know knowledge warfare right like you know it's kind of hard to figure out what you do with an advantage it's not context specific unless like you know unless like you had a specific like kind of uh like thought of what to do with it or whatever right like um or unless you already had a plan, um, but I, I, I again, it's the thing that that we'll that we'll all get better at. But I, I, I like it because it's like it's much more cinematic. It's much less static than uh, Pathfinder, which I love for its own reasons. But I do like like Star Wars. I think feels better when you're just kind of doing Star Wars and yeah. Um, the, the inside. No, and there were a lot of moments that I felt like that that worked like that in the session that I think were like really great. In fact, I actually think the weakness of like the system is sort of when I run it like Pathfinder in a way. Yeah. Um, like there was a boss fight at like the very sort of end and I was just kind of like, and then, and then I wanted to be in a position where I was like, okay, they're going to take her alive. Cause I, I, the one other thing I had set up was that she had a bounty on her head, like a, like a vague bounty that you could sort of like track down. But then they failed the check to coerce her to surrender so it was like, well, I guess she fights to the death, and we just kind of sit here and, like, round out the combat, and that sort of sucks. But I also didn't want to, like, I don't know. I, I felt very awkward about that uh, that resolution in a way. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I totally get that. I, I think part of it is that, like, the combat's not super, the, the combat's not super, like, a, a super strong thing, right? Like, I th- I think almost... The I, I think part of the problem is because we're playing over the internet, we need something to put our eyes on, right? Like, I yeah. think the D4 and Jad fighting, like, the Golden Armada was a better done combat scene than the one in the building. I, because no, it was I screen. agree with you. I was thinking about that the whole time. One of the things that was neat, and I didn't expect this, but I liked it a lot, was the efficiency with which you split the party, which is, like... RPG never do this, right? Like, you never you never split the party. But it's so useful. And it makes so much sense. Like, in TV writing, they, they, they talk about A, A plot, B plot, right? And the point of it is that, like, when things get to a 
each scene has a beginning, middle, and end. And when a scene resolves, you want to swap to something that's not that scene. You don't want to just move forward in time from that scene. So a lot of the time in film or in television, mostly in television, right? When the A plot reaches its kind of like apex in a scene, you'll swap to the B plot. And then do the B plot for a while. Then you'll swap back to the A plot. And it lets you do that kind of plotting in an RPG, which normally is just not allowed, right? Because nobody ever wants to split the party and do and do these sort of alternate things. But I felt like it was really useful when, you know, for instance, um, Argus and Kento were in town doing their thing. And Jad and D4 were on the hill watching... Um, like watching the uh like what was going on at the base being able to just kind of be like okay i want to resolve what the two of you guys are doing and then snap back and resolve the other kind of like group that was really great i thought that stuff was amazing yeah that's also very star wars right like all you need is like like you know to say star wipe and uh and you've got it um but uh but like i don't know like i think ideally you'd, you'd run all the combats without like even the like, I think turning off the grid was a was was a good step in that direction. But I I, I feel like I feel like you, there needs to be a way to turn it off, like turn off the whole map without it like being like being too much. If that makes sense, right? Like I think it would work better if we were sitting around a table. And we just kind of had like yeah. rough images of what was happening. Yeah, um, see, something that I want, I like dungeon crawling in a way. And I want there, and I feel like that stuff is cool, right? And you know, there was like cool stuff to the dungeon in the sense of like. You know, finding terminals for D4 to slice and opening certain kinds of doors but not other doors, right? Or finding, you know, uh, uh, like the the big room with all of the scrap droids. You know, like, I like that stuff, and I think that that stuff is, is great, but I do kind of agree with you. What, what we talked about last session was that, like, maybe the map without the grid is worth it, but I honestly am considering, you know, maybe the answer is to just, like, maybe instead of having maps have, like, star wars concept art or something yeah you know I mean? and yeah, just yeah. like playing the rest of it from there because being able to do all that stuff with like okay well am i long range or short range that seems to be like really effective at handling kind of movement and relative placement right and like things like you know like like this is i think also placing this advantage just you know threat thing right like you know um like the way you used it to have one of the soldiers like get behind uh, a ridge or something right like if you had had a map for that and there wasn't a ridge there, it'd be a little bit weird. Like, you know, we, we could probably work through that, but it's, like, also not a thing you would think of, right? It'd be like, oh, there's no ridge on the yeah. map. I can't put it behind a ridge. But because it's all in the mind, you'd be like, well, there's a ridge. Um, yeah, so I think maybe that, that concept art thing is a way to go. Right? You can even do it, like, for the room, right? Like, if, if you could find a, a room of, like, a uh, – or, like, a, a art of, like, a heap of droids, right? Like, you'd be like, this is this room, you know, you look around it and you see, like, you know, there's, like, a terminal on the wall or something. Um, yeah, and that's something – and honestly, it might be a situation where I just make the maps for me. Do you know what I mean? And I'm looking at the map and sort of moving you guys token for token. Because, like, you know, something that when I was building this, uh, the listening post that was important, right, like, is I was like, I have to create multiple terminals that do different things. Because obviously D4 is a slicer and his whole thing is terminals, right? And so – here's how you know like and here's a a a neat way to sort of like manifest that right um and it's it's necessary for me to keep things organized in a way but i think it might not be necessary for you guys um in the same sort of way so it might just be like i don't know i don't know it just seems uh it's tough too right because like if you've got if you've got enough 
characters on the screen, right? It might be, or you know, enough characters in the scene, rather. Um, it might be hard to kind of keep track of all of them, right? Like, you yeah, know, I mean, who's we all next play with six people, which is, yeah. you know, its own, its own thing. Star Wars also, like, you know, it wants you to specialize, right? But then I also, would, like, I fear a situation where, like, nobody can do something. This happens with D4 a lot, just because, like, obviously he is very built towards computers. Um, so there's almost like a, there's almost like a, a like a, a drive uh, on my end, right? Um, to kind of create computers stuff to do in every single mission right yeah and like you know or like imagine nobody really fits this bill but like imagine we had like a hardcore starfighter in our like a like a pilot you know with like ranks and gunnery or whatever right like that would be like wow we need to have a space battle this episode um yeah i feel like i want that stuff to be like a little bit more module but i or like modular but i also don't want to lose anybody so i i think the answer there has to be like you know like the attitude that like I am bad at this is only true if you have like low low stat and low um and low ranks, right? Like you can like like if you have like a three or four in a skill but no ranks, you're still pretty decently at decent at whatever, you're just not a specialist. And uh-huh. I think that like I think kind of like the the kind of D and D attitude is hurting us there, right? Like I have Decent. Pre- I have good presence because I'm a Gungan, right? Jad's a Gungan. Jad has three presence. Jad could probably make a coercion check if he needed to, but it's like not a thing I'm thinking of because you know it's not marked down on my sheet. It's me being good at it, right? Even though like if you think about it, I you know three green dice is pretty alright, right? Like, um, so I, I think maybe kind of like a little bit of an attitude shift there to to kind of get get us to the right place might be helpful. But I don't I don't know how you how you bring that about organically, right? Like, um. And 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 the places where you do suck are are pretty bad, right? Like uh, anybody with like two brawn that's trying to hit someone with a punch is probably not going to do great. But like, um, I don't know. Also, it's a thing that you can buy into, right? Like it's not like like the the the. I am a fan. So to kind of push this onto a different point about the system is, um, I really like this kind of modular build your own uh kind of skill set type of thing. For those of you that don't know. Um, you get an experience point budget, and after each mission, you get experience, which is handed out pretty generously. And you can spend that on skills uh, or talents, and then that character is you don't spend it on stats. But um, uh, and they all vary in costs. And like the early ranks of stuff aren't super expensive, especially for stuff that's in your class. And if you want to go outside your class, it's still not that expensive. Um, and like acquiring a new specialization is not super hard. Um, and specialization has been kind of like your subclassic is the best way to put it. Um, and I really like how, like, you know, even after just two sessions, we've got, like, I feel like I've made real progress on my character, right? Like, yeah, I think the way they handle it in PF2 is, is you front load some of the features. That way, like, you know, you're getting some stuff relatively quickly because those first sessions are quick. But, like, you know, I just picked up a couple ranks in in uh, in, uh, in ranged heavy and a talent that makes me better at sniping, right? Like, and that that's like all like like one session, and I th- I think I think that's like really fun for like kind of building out your character. Also because, um, like you know, if you need to change course, it's not super hard to do so, right? Like, um, if like if I want to pick up, I don't know, leadership for some reason, right? Like, it's not super hard for me to pick up a couple ranks of that. So I, I think that's a, a big benefit of the system. Obviously, you're less exposed to that, but do you have any thoughts on it? No, I actually do sort of feel it. Um, 
in a way. The thing that I I fear is that people will play will like level up in the way a Pathfinder character will level up, rather than leveling up in the way that I feel like a Warhammer, which is another fantasy flight system that like does this sort of divvied out um, experience thing. One of the things that I learned in Warhammer really quickly was that you don't want to gun it uh, because it's like it's expensive to gun it on on whatever your your special thing is um and instead you kind of do want to mix and match you want to pick up a couple of things here and there um just like one or two skills because it's like it's useful and it's powerful to do so um whereas in this system uh and you do and i think the same thing is true for this system right like i i hope that people are you know uh picking up the first and second rank in some of their other career skills more than chasing that third or fourth rank if that makes sense um and uh and i think the system not like i i'm sure most people will like look at the value proposition and go yeah oh yeah of course right um but uh but like the pathfinder way to do this would be to gun it uh and you say oh i want to i want to max out ranged heavy because i want to i want all my shots to be you know as I want all my shots to be as yellow as possible or whatever the case may be. And, uh, and I feel like that is that, that kind of contributes to the sort of narrow problem, right? Like Zhao, if you're listening to this, if you sink too much into computers, like it, I feel like that's not going to be a fun character for you to play. Um, in, in the same way that like, if, uh, in Pathfinder, you play a character that has one rank in 20 skills it's a lot less satisfying to play than if you have, you know, five ranks and four skills. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that, I think that's definitely true also, but the thing is too, is that you can only do so much of that, right? Like what, like if Zhao took all, like, let's say Zhao started with two ranks in computers and he had, you know, and he spent what he spent all the experience we got on it, which is for, it's a 60 experience, right? Like um, starts at two, three is 15, Plus twenty is thirty-five. Uh, plus twenty-five is uh, or thirty twenty-five plus thirty-five is sixty. Right, like he'd already be at like rank four, I guess, or rank five, I think. Yeah, I did. I did that math right. Um, and like you know, yeah, that's kind of like maybe a, a little bit of a waste, but like he has to pick something else at some point, right? Um. Uh, I think the talents thing is 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 or the talent tree is the is the thing is the I don't even want to call it a trap but it's the the thing that that could that you could get yourself bogged down in because um, like the 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 non combaty uh, trees tend not to have like a lot of like combat enhancing capability unsurprisingly um, uh, but I think I think that you've done a good job so far of like not making it like a typical say Pathfinder game where it's like you know do you know, like where, where social interactions are spaces between combat encounters. Um, not that your Pathfinder game has to be that way, but that's the way that a lot of it, a lot of it runs, and a lot, a lot of the way that like kind of the system's set up, it's like a, it's like combat's like a core pillar of the game where it doesn't have to be as much here. And I think, uh, I think that um, doing kind of this the space scenes or it is or like the the, the less combaty scenes is uh, is good. Yeah. Um, for, for yeah, I mean, that, that I was really happy with that stuff in uh, in the session um, that we played on Saturday because, like, obviously, like I knew that the the climax or whatever was going to be how you guys choose to sort of take the base, um, and I should have expected this. I kind of expected you guys to hit the base earlier with a plan that goes wrong, but kind of what ended up happening is you hit the base later with a plan that goes right in a way. 
Um, which, on one hand, I felt like it was my job to reward you as the DM for, like, making good... You got a lot of information, and you made really good choices about how that information... Uh, about, like, how you approach the situation. Um, and you didn't fall into the traps that I guess I had set up or whatever. Um, but I also was a little bit like, boy, this was easier than I intended. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think... I think part of that too is that like, like, you know, sometimes that'll happen. Right. And I think part of the nice thing about the system is that it's, I, you know, setting up the, like, I assume you pulled the characters out of something for stats or did you set them yourself? Uh, I pulled like, for instance, boss Blackspine is a Dengar. Okay. One of, the, one of the bounty hunters out of the allies and adversaries books. Um, but I, I did a lot of, I, I swapped around stuff, uh, like the, the snipers, are droidica sharpshooters, but re- like restatted and reallocated. Sure, and, and you know, not like the point being that that's like like even building it from scratch. I imagine is not as involved as say building a Pathfinder creature from scratch, right? So uh-huh. if you throw, yeah, oh, no, if, I lo- that is one of the things I love about this system, right? You know, it takes five minutes to take a to find something. It's like yeah, it's pretty good. Toss it, you know, toss it in there and and let it be it, right? Yeah, with the point being that if if you have to throw it away for some reason, it's not like it's not like you know like oh they w- they went by the thing I spent three hours setting up right like they just you know walked around it, um, which which I know is like a, a thing that can be like frustrating when you're when you're running a, a oh yeah a, definitely I, and that was one of the things that I really appreciated about the system like for instance when Ventor arrived in the first session I didn't have stats for for her and um, I just kind of back ended into stats. I like. I just like looked in the back page. I was like, ah, oh, cool, smuggler baron. Sounds good. That's that's your stats kind of thing, um, which was really easy because like, you know, one of the things that's tough about other systems um, is you can get in this. You can get in this position where like, you can't just instantly look at a stat block and comprehend it. Do you know what I mean? Which is something that you sort of have to do at a uh, at a glance when you're in the middle of a session and you're trying to like find stats. And that's something that this system does really well and really easily. Right. For instance, the spaceport personnel, um, that you guys were like encountering, I, that was not, that was mostly improv. I knew that was going to kind of be a thing, right. That like, there was a, that you guys were going to be asked about your, your service or whatever. But like, I didn't know what a security officer's fucking stat line was. Uh, right. Like all of that stuff, I just well, what what would it be? Look, oh hey, would you look at this spaceport security officer? Here's his here's his thing, right? Yeah, no, and, and I, I do have to say, I really appreciated you like setting us up to like be like you know get ready to like pull the trigger and really screw ourselves. It's like we didn't, we managed to not. It's uh, like you just walk. I was, I was like, so oh, it's fine. I mean, I, I thought I gave it away a little bit too much because there was one part where I said, um, there's like one part where I was like, okay, what do you do? And I think I was a little too eager with it because I think Phelanor said something. He was like, he just said something that made me think like, oh God, he gets it. He like, he knows I'm trying to get them to like, you know, like fuck up. For, for the folks at home, um, the in the first session, the Golden Armada had, um, the, the players deserted the Golden Armada flagship as it was attacked by the Space Biker Gang. 
And so uh, they were like technically deserters, right? But then they land on a Golden Armada planet, right? They have uh, they have a transponder on a ship related to that flagship. So the Golden Armada who are there are like, oh hey, hey, what's up? You guys are technically like deserters or whatever. I knew in the back end that I was planning to let the PCs off the hook, right? Where if they get the guy to like go talk to his manager, essentially, the manager will say, yep, these mercenary, these are mercenaries, and they are released from their contract, right? But I structured the thing so that, like, when they landed, they were immediately arrested for desertion, right? And it's like, ooh, do they do they ambush the tree? You know, like, yeah. do they fight their way out of custody? Because then it's, like, real problems. But they just rolled with it until the guy came back and he was like, yeah, you guys are free to go. Which, uh, <laughs> which I thought was good Good job. Way to, way to yeah. go. <laughs> so I actually do want to use this opportunity because that reminded me of, of one of my personal favorite moments because I did it. But, like, you know, I spent a destiny point to, like, get the information that they were being arrested using, like, you know, Star Wars bullshit, right? That Which was is... great. That was great. I actually thought our destiny point usage was very spot on. I, I probably should have been using dark side points better or more frequently. Um but, like, I also loved the one – the one that Charles did was so great. It was so perfect. Uh, that was probably, like, the highlight of the session. I will, I will agree. I, so, I, so for those of you at home, at the beginning of the session, each player rolls a force die, and the pips on those die determine how many force points are in play. And uh, they have two sides. There's dark and light side. And every time um, the player uses one, it's a light side point. It flips to dark side, and the GM can use that to – to, to flip it back you can use it for mundane stuff like upgrading dice in combat which is you know boring but useful or like as as charles likes to put it the star wars bullshit right which is like you know the cinematic stuff that just happens to work um and i really like yeah, i really in this like situation i had flipped a dark side point when they so the the pc set up a ruse right where they wanted um the platoon in the town or i'm sorry they wanted to set up um a fake conflict where uh, the the Zabrak mercenaries in the listening posts on the hill thought the platoon in the town were going to come attack them, right? And I flipped the dark side point to say, okay, you're not the, – the Zabrak aren't the only people that hear that ruse. Also, these two Golden Armada soldiers hear your ruse, and they're going to go report you in the Golden Armada garrison. So the players kill two Golden Armada soldiers on the road between the garrison and um, – on the road between the garrison and the uh, the town, and the golden armada and, and the golden armada soldiers are killed with a slug thrower, which is like a rifle, like with a with a bullet. And Charles flipped a light side point to say that the Zabrak snipers in the listening post specifically use that slug thrower. Which at first I was like, no, that's dumb. Who cares? But then I immediately got it. I was like, oh my god, I get it now. Which sent you know the golden armada fighting, you know, going to fight the. Uh, the Zabrak. Yeah, no, it was it was it was super well. I get I, I love this. I love these like kind of hero point like systems in games, which is like you know like Destiny or Danes that like you know you know this plot contrivance happens to work right, which uh-huh. which, which I think like you know it's arguable that in Pat like a game like a crunchier game that's maybe not so it's not so great because it like you know it's capable of being power game, but I think it fits perfectly for a system like that, which is supposed or like this rather, which is supposed to be like cinematic and, and very Star Warsy, right? Like you know, like yeah. The, you know what's funny is that um, I like I like this stuff in Pathfinder, 
Right. Um, I've always implemented like an action point system in Pathfinder. But I actually think in a certain sense I might be wrong and that Pathfinder should stay crunchy and not have this kind of bullshit. And this kind of bullshit should stay in the more narrative cinematic games like Edge of the Empire in a way. Um, Like I think these work really well in Edge of the Empire, whereas action points don't tend to work super well in Pathfinder. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think I think we could probably go do like a whole discussion about like maybe how you would do them a little bit better in Pathfinder because like um, I think the the problem with the Pathfinder ones is that the mechanical benefits always just so much better, right? Like um, rather than like the the story benefit um, because this kind of like you know like space between combats type of model, right? Like um, it's if you know, if you get like in in the, uh, I think it was the last game I played with you. Your hero points could be used to save your life if you were going to die, and it's like always worth holding on to it for that, right? Like, um, and, like maybe you could tweak it so that like that's not the case, but it's also like it, there's also not. I don't think it's many opportunities for it to be like, oh, there's like a, a window that needs to be open on the second floor or something. Um, just like it, it comes up less, I think. Um, but I, I, I take your point. I, I think it's I think it's roughly right, right, that like it, it at least gets better usage here, especially kind of like I really like the flopping mechanic, right? Because like there's always kind of like it's a resource that you can always almost always use, right? Like I don't think we, 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 we push it to one side or the other at any point. Um, uh, but it also like gives, you know, leeway to the to the opposing party, as it were. To, to get it thrown back at you, which I think is I, I think is uh, uh, a, a super smart design decision, right? Like, yeah, I also think it's a very smart design decision. It's a it's a little funny doing it with six people because we rolled a huge pool of like eight, um, and we were like at four and four. And even when I was sitting on six of them, um, I I just never wanted to like ble- like I was thinking about that where I was like maybe I could just like layer a bunch of them into a certain thing, right? Like as soon as Boss Blackspine comes out. She's just – I'm upgrading all of her die to challenge die. I'm upgrading all of this other st- sort of stuff. But I, just, I don't know. Like, that also felt kind of, like, weird and shitty and unfair, and I didn't want to, like, set that weird precedent that, like, hey, if I have a bunch of extra fucking dark side points at the end of the session, I'm going to just blow them all on you. You know what I mean? Like, um, I think that – I, I think that we could probably use them more. Like, I could use them more. You guys could use them more. Um, but I don't want it to be a thing where it's just, like, constantly flipping one side or the other. Yeah, especially when you're using them on kind of, like, the, the generic stuff. But, um, like, I think part of this is that the guidelines help, right? Like, you can only use, I think, one per roll or something like that. Um, I think the other part of this, too, is that, like, you can do it, like, doing it at the end of the fight maybe feels a little cheap. But if, like, you know boss black spine shows up right and like you know immediately you flip a point because you know she's a badass right and like it upgrades the first role and like really blows away like the first person right like maybe that like feels a little bit better and it gives the right um kind of feeling to it um but yeah i think it's i think it's a thing again that will that we'll get more used to and we'll, we'll play with more um it's also kind of like a, a like I think the kind of inherent tension of like if you spend too many of them and you give your opponent too much ammo type of thing is uh, is, is a uh, is a clever design decision that that really kind of fuels that. Yeah, um, and I I like the tension of part honestly part of me wants to sit on the dark side points just because I like the tension of we're down to one or two right do we flip our last light side point right? yeah to to do this I think that tension is like really neat or whatever 
Um, and so that also prevents me from, you know, like really wanting to sort of like hardcore bump the, like hardcore bump the difficulty. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, that's, I, I, there, there's, there's like a lot of extra stuff in this system, which is kind of nuts. And I'm a little sad that they're like, I guess apparently discontinuing the line or whatever. Do you, do you know what the status of it is? So my understanding is that Fantasy Flight Games has um, killed their TTRPG team. Um, they transferred the license to a different subsidiary of their parent company, which I think is a Tellier Games. Like, I, don't quote me on that. I don't know off the top of my head. I think it's called like Edge Gaming or something like that. It's small. Its website literally has like a button that says, we have the Star Wars license and like a couple other licenses. And check this page soon. I signed up for their mailing list. That way they email emails but i think it's supposed to be continue on the same line of books just in a like under a different heading um but it also doesn't seem like they're doing anything fast with this so um yeah uh it's it is unfortunate um but they like the the reason i think they're going to continue with it is because they also picked up the genesis license and genesis is their they they back genericized um, the system into like a, a generic fantasy setting from the edge of the empire system um, using the same kind of dice stuff. Uh, so uh, hopefully we'll see more of it. Although I think I'm pretty happy with a lot of the stuff that's here, right? Like, um, and you can also like homebrew up some stuff, right? Like the, like there's some races that are missing, right? Like, you know, uh, notably with the, the, like more Mandalorian based content would be nice, right? Like there's no Ugnaughts officially and there's no, uh, like, uh, and, and like the Mandalorian stuff is like kind of there. And it's also based on like, like the Mandalorian stuff is all kind of like the fanatical, like terrorist faction from the, uh, uh, from the like, uh, end of the Republic era rather than being kind of like what they are like in yeah, the, the, in Death the, uh, Watch is what they're called. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas I think like having a real dedicated kind of like Mandalorian system would be, would, you know, is, is, is something this game kind of screams for, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, I don't know how you... Yeah, it like, was funny to me that I saw that they released a whole source book for Corellia. I was like, an entire source book for fucking Corellia? Without, like, you know, touching the more, uh, you know, common uh, trouble of, like, you know, the Mandalorian or whatever else. They also have yeah. one for the Huts, which was nice. Uh, I actually read through a lot of that source book when I was coming up with the factions for the game. Um, just because, like, you know... Uh, one of one of the one of the things one of the things I entered into the game knowing was that I need I wanted to put in a superstructure to help guide gameplay that wouldn't ruin the episodic content right so I could I could create a framework where if somebody misses a week they're not actually missing that much um, and uh, and so I I when I saw the first huts book I was like oh this is great I'm gonna be able to do this learn all this stuff about the huts or whatever but they don't have a book for any of the other factions that are like the main factions in the edge of the empire the new, the the republic or I'm sorry the the empire the the rebels the black sun black sun was the one I really wanted to be honest mm. um, although there does seem to be some homebrew around so you might be able to find something online also. Yeah. There's also stuff in the um, there's also stuff in the like the Republic or the uh, Age of Rebellion Age of Rebellion Rebellion yeah um, oh yeah Age of Rebellion what so so that's that's a thing to talk about right so Edge of the Empire was their first product and then there's Age of Rebellion which is um, Edge of the Empire is like Outer Rim kind of smugglers type stuff mm-hmm. uh, Age of Rebellion is 
is, is and it's uh, roughly set Edge of the Empire somewhere around like the end of the Galactic Civil War. Age of Rebellion is set in the heart of the Civil War, and you're playing, uh, you know, troops from the Rebellion. And Force and Destiny is is the Forcers book because they were kind of conspicuously missing from the previous books. Um, and the cool thing is, is they're all interchangeable and all all kind of like they all work together. Yeah. So, for pick- instance, you are playing an Age of Rebellion career and specialization. Yes. Although I picked up a. Uh, I picked up a specialization from Edge of the Empire, which was going to be my original character, but I changed stuff around for party reasons. But yeah, mm-hmm. um, and it all kind of like slots together super nicely. Yeah. Um, and uh, and like on top of that, they have these source books that are time period related rather than just being like uh, like rather than just kind of being like so each each product has their own set of source books, but then they're also like Age of Rebellion and. Uh, End of the Republic, I think is, is what it's called, are like time books that work with all three sets. Yeah, um, no, I like – so, I mean, I suppose it's not that secret that uh, I really enjoy, obviously, the – like the Clone Wars era, like the prequels era of of Star Wars quite a bit. Um, so I, I pulled a lot from those books for – like part of the listening post – the listening post is actually a – an homage to a an episode of the Star Wars Clone Wars series because I've been slowly reading or watching that on Disney Plus, and there's an episode that's a similar idea, but it's kind of told from the opposite. The clones are defending a listening post from separatist droids that are attacking the listening post, um, and uh, and so I knew I wanted to do you know like these references or whatever, but like the ATTE, uh, like for I actually had stats for the ATTE because. One of the things I thought you guys might do is, like, hardcore partner with the Golden Armada, and you would be in the ATTE attacking the compound. Um, uh, and then I also had, like, that's where the crab droid stats were from uh, and stuff like that. What do you think so far of kind of, I don't know, it, it feels like it feels like Age of Rebellion and Edge of the Empire are, like like, super interchangeable, right? Like, you know... It's basically just more options in, like, a kind of a different setting. Um, the Force of Destiny one's the thing that sticks out a little bit because Jedi are always always a little bit funky, but they got to be there, right? Um, uh, we haven't interacted with the Force powers much because our one Force user isn't a super big Force user. Um, and uh, I think I think having it kind of be a special thing is a good way to kind of, like, be like, you probably shouldn't be playing a party of... Like, I could see an adventure that's, like, a party of Jedi, but that's not this adventure, Right. Um, and so having like one guy makes sense. What do you have? Do you have any deeper thoughts on that? I actually think it makes a lot of sense in a way that, um, that the Jedi are sort of separated out. One of the tough things that I ran into in old versions of star Wars is kind of like equating the Jedi characters with the non force using characters, because it's kind of like, you know, in, in, in Pathfinder, when you have like magic users and martial users, um, it works out in a way that it didn't seem to work out that much in Star Wars Second Edition, which, by the way, is a much crunchier version of Star Wars, right? Um, and it was also more focused. Well, that that version of Star Wars was, had three levels of play. You could play in the uh, the Clone Wars era, you could play in the Rebellion era, and you could play in the New Republic, which is the Yuuzhan Vong stuff was all happening at that point. Um, and... Um, but so one of the things about that system is that, like, if you were playing in the rebellion or in the Republic era, there were a lot of Jedi who were rolling around doing Jedi things all the all the all the fucking time. Um, and 
there are a lot of considerations you have to be able to make to make a Jedi character kind of like work without being, uh, or like a force using character to kind of like work without sort of like breaking, uh, breaking the system. Um, and when edge of the empire focuses explicitly in on the rebellion era where, you know, basically things take place between the empire strikes back and return of the Jedi. Um, though we're not playing in that super explicit time frame. Um, it puts like it it puts us in this weird position where like you can't really do a party full of jedi in this in the same sort of way um so i do kind of agree with them like separating it with them kind of like separating it out uh that said i haven't been incredibly impressed with like force powers and stuff like that to be honest i don't really interact with it all that much we have one force user which was a which was a restriction i put on the party just cuz like I don't know. I don't like the idea in the era where all of the Jedi have been executed that there's like multiple force users getting together uh, too, too much. Um, but uh, we only have one force user. And um, and so almost all of my window into that is him. Yeah. Um, and he hasn't used it super much yet because it has to build up. I, I think I think you're right. I think that like saying it when it is works just because it like it restricts like it makes sense that there's like not like that you know anybody who's a force user just isn't super refined with it yet right and they got to like old like you know they got to adult adventuring age without it being a problem uh-huh. um whereas like i i think part of the problem is that it's just like a fundamental problem with the with with kind of the the setting right like the jedi are always going to be powerful and like they don't feel right if they're just as good as the other characters um, and so you need a reason to kind of power them down and like them being Padawans is, is a way to do it, right? Them not being developed is a way to do it. Yeah. Like um, one of the, and I think also the concept and the power of Jedi expanded quite a lot in between the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy, right? Like, does like Luke ever block, do they ever block star, like, like blaster bolts with the, uh, I'm pretty like, sure. I, know, I, I don't he know he trains with the droid, but does he ever do the thing where he, like, hits the thing and then the blaster bolt goes back and hits the stormtrooper? Um, I don't know if Luke does off the top of my head, but, um, I think, I think, like, Obi-Wan or Darth might? Yeah, like, I... it's one of those things, really, the point is, it's one of those things where in the prequel trilogy, you have Jedi who are constantly, you know, blocking blaster bolts with their with their lightsabers right you have qui-gon and obi-wan with these droidicas who are just like firing and they're just like black 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 and that's cool and that's exciting you know in and of itself or whatever but it's just a very different sort of like world and implementation of a lightsaber compared to the lightsabers that we get in the original trilogy which are mostly used against other you know like other lightsabers right um and so I think that that is uh, that's kind of like a contributor to it. Plus, there's always the famous like you know they force run or whatever. Uh, you know, Obi Wan jumps out of the little crevasse thing. Uh, you have the flippy flips of Anakin and Obi Wan, and I will defend all that. Like I'm not shitting on any of this. You know, like obviously I probably prefer it in my heart of hearts because i like the big operatic action of the space opera but like in the original trilogy the best you got was like luke did a flip in return of the jedi luke jumps out of the uh, carbonite thing in empire oh yeah that's true okay he also jumps out of the carbonite thing in empire that's fair 
Um, and Vader throws a bunch of stuff at him with the Force. Um, but, you know, like, that's... Uh, your, your point's taken, right? Like, it's it's not as... It's not nearly so much. Um, and I think that also works there because, like, you know, Vader is kind of, like, is not a, he's not a subtle dude, right? Like, and... Uh, and Luke is 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 a novice as much as he can be, right? Like you know, he's he's uh, he he's th- this character that we're talking about, right? Somebody who's not super who's not super well trained because you know the Jedi are kind of repressed. So it, it you know it's it's uh, it's you, you get less of the mastery there, which uh, is is good. But yeah, um, it'd be really strange to have a. Uh, the kind of like like this is the thing that always bothers me about um the the Spotor RP or MMO, which is kind of like, you know, and the Imperial Sniper and the Jedi are like evenly matched. It's like that doesn't feel quite right, but I get why it has to be that way. Um Yeah, it's 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 a tough thing just to kind of do with the whole like fantasy genre, right? Like the the way that it that they or I mean the, the whole kind of RPG genre, right? Like is you have things that have implied different power levels that just you can't do to have like a party that feels good. Like in, in the, I think it was in the first edition of, of D and D the way, part of the way they handled that, um, part of the way they handled the quadratic caster linear fighter was the fighter got an army to lead eventually, um, in a castle that, that, uh, that, you know, that didn't survive forward because like the systems just didn't work out, but, um, it's the hard, it's just a hard thing to, to balance, right? I guess, uh, yeah, I definitely think it is a it is a tough thing to balance, and I have a lot of love for the Star for like the Star Wars universe and the and these Star Wars RPGs, um, and so uh, I I don't I don't want to say any of this in a you know I don't I don't want anybody to think I'm like really like shitting on the system because obviously because uh, obviously I'm not I think it's just a really tough thing by itself it is a tough thing to navigate. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, uh, is there anything, oh, obligations, uh, we didn't talk about these at all, um, obviously we haven't done a ton with them yet, what, do you have any thoughts on it so far? Uh, I like obligations a lot, uh, it, it solves a problem that I have always had, which is the tone problem, right, um, and I talked about this a little bit in, you know, like, in our, uh, uh, what, what, so one of the things that makes obligations work really well is that if you are a if you are a character, I have a I have leverage over you as a GM kind of at all times, right? And like if somebody is a like if somebody is not connected into the into the story or into you know like the goings on of what of what's happening, I can always leverage that obligation. Um, in order to in order to use that and so that feels like a really great thing to have in like the toolbox on top of that they just kind of mandate right like at the beginning of every session you roll a d percentile and you see what it what it is and whose obligation triggers and what that that triggering obligation sort of like looks like and i like that a lot because it's the same sort of improv thing where yeah i have to kind of create stuff on the fly and we haven't actually technically resolved the obligation from this session um because the idea is it comes at the very, you know, at the very tail end. Um, but uh, the the obligation, uh, I think, is a really great system. And is kind of one of the best instances of the sort of, quote-unquote, ties that bind that we have ever seen implemented. Which is something we've tried in other systems plenty of times. Yeah. Um, I think I think it'll... I think we'll have more to say about it, too, once, like, we really start 
like seeing it right and like you know it's a little bit like this this was the first mission and there wasn't really an easy in for for kento's obligation um i at least that i didn't see so like it, it had to be kind of like you know massaged and i i do like that the book's like you know if it doesn't work it's just kind of like apprehension right like you know that uh that it's gonna, it's gonna come to bite you in the ass. Yeah, right? I, that's um, something that I do want to focus. Like, I am hoping uh, that uh, that I can integrate the obligation into every session. And I've thought about this a little bit beforehand. Um, like, I more or less had a plan for if anybody's obligation sort of triggers what that look what that looks like. Um, but yeah, you know, I do kind of like that. If you do, if if nothing happens, that's fine. Really, I I didn't quite realize about the table, and I might like change the table a little bit something that i wanted to do with the obligations and something that i that i asked everyone to do is kind of like tie their obligation into that factional superstructure i was talking about and my original thought was that like okay when an obligation triggers it'll be related to the factions involved in whatever the mission is right so if it's an ashen you know if it's an ashen legion mission maybe your point on the ground is the ashen legion guy in your in your obligation backstory or whatever uh but that was before i really understood the the table like how that the how you roll on the table at the beginning of the session um and uh and then i was like i'll go with rules as written because it's that's you know that's what you're supposed to do um before you tinker before yeah Yeah, before i I tinker i i think it's fine for you to take like for you to take you know gm privilege to be like this is how it's gonna work out like um and like try like you know you know nudge that value to to make it make more sense with the current yeah so what i've been thinking about well because like and this is part of what i wanted like one of the one of the one of the impetuses of the game for for the players right is this idea that they see they get the mission and they can choose right and i wanted to recreate this thing that happens in xcom where you get multiple missions but you can only you can only choose to complete one sort of thing um and you kind of have to make a choice based on a variety of different things, right? Do I care? And in this instance, it's like, do I care that – do I want to rep up? Do I want to get more reputation with the faction I would be completing this job for? Do I want to take advantage of whatever the bonus reward is for completing the job, right? Like, maybe I don't maybe I don't like this job now, but I look at it and I say, oh, my God, wait. I could use that blaster rifle that, I, that is only being offered by this specific thing. Um, and another another piece of that is, am I okay going after the Golden Armada? Am I okay going after the Huts, right? Um, because my initial thought is, like, if I'm somebody with an obligation, right? Like, if I'm somebody with obligation towards the Golden Armada, that should be a point of apprehension for me. Like, yeah, I don't want to get on the Golden Armada's bad side because they have leverage over me that I don't want to. And I think that tension is, like, dramatic and good. But like I said, I, you know, I want to I wanna see how it plays out without that before before like tinkering you know too much right 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 i also like the idea Um, of using obligation this is something i offered my players at the beginning of the session because like nobody has any money i was like oh well if you enter into extra obligation with this one person right you can get an advance on the money you'd make at, at the end of the mission um and i like that sort of interaction where it's like okay do i invest obligate do i do i take on obligation essentially debt here or can I, can I like live without it? Right. Like that was one of the first choices in the, in like the little midweek session that we did, which was like, do you guys take obligation with Ventor in order to sort of like get a little leg up? You know, you start at level three 
or whatever instead of starting at level one in terms of being a like a like a like a a fixer crew right like running jobs throughout the galaxy um and how much is that you know like how much is that like worth to you sort of a thing uh, i like those questions a lot and i like using obligation as a way to sort of you know put it into concrete terms what what's what's going on yeah um yeah no that, that makes that that that's that's definitely true. I, I think the I think the the other side of this, which is the motivation stuff, is going to be a little bit harder for us to deliver on, just because like it's not like a campaign arc type game. Yeah. Right? it's like I've, I I I looked at that system and I was more or less like, eh, what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, like it's it's. I think it's like good. Like like I think in the normal campaign it'd be a good role playing hook, but I also I think it's like a good narrative hook to justify a character's action, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, I also like that it's we, something that you can sort of like fall back on if I'm a character and I'm in a little bit of a weird spot. Uh, it's like, okay, well, what is my motivation, right? What would what yeah. would that derive me to? Yeah, and like some of our characters are a little bit more abstract anyway, right? Like it's not like it's not like D four who like wants to be a, a real boy, right? Like he's ever going to like effectuate that. Uh, so uh, it's uh, it, it's a uh, it's it's a thing it's a thing there um but yeah um did you have any other thoughts you want to share about the system before we uh, move to our weeks uh i like the system quite a bit i actually don't know that i would pay for the system yet um in the same way that i like i bought starfinder blind uh and to be honest i'm actually so pretty happy with that purchase i had a lot of fun playing starfinder when we did um and i like bought pathfinder 2e blind or whatever but i don't know that i would give that recommendation just yet um I'm having fun with the system now, but, you know, uh, I don't know. I just wanted to include my recommendation, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so just to be clear for people out there, I own a copy of Edge of the Empire. Um, there are PDFs around, but nothing official because of some, like, weird licensing issue where, like, the PDF version of the game is technically an electronic game. And so the A holds all rights to all electronic games, so... Fantasy Flight can't actually sell a PDF, so, uh, you know, it is what it is. I'm just going to leave it at that. (laughs) Uh, um, uh, So, uh, how was your week? Just to to clear it up, I did not get a chance to watch Season 5 of Better Call Saul, so we won't be talking about that this week. Um, Probably should have opened that now that I think about it. uh, What, uh... It sucks that what, uh, we're not going to be able to talk about Better Call Saul, I guess, because uh, I have enjoyed going deep into Better Call Saul uh, in the back half of the episodes. But I guess we could talk about, you know, fucking video games. Oh, so lame. Um, w- the big news on my front is that a new Total War 2 DLC has been uh, announced and is coming out uh, in a couple of days, probably two days from when the, the podcast is going to go up. Um, it is called... Uh, the Warden and the Paunch, and it hits Grom the Paunch, who is the goblin, the super fat Goblin King, who is so fat that he actually looks like an orc, and it hits uh, the High Elves, uh, Eltharian the Grim, uh, who is the Warden of Ivres, and like famously had a big battle with Grom the Paunch when Grom took a took a wa across the ocean and wad on Ulthwan. Uh, the DLC brings a huge update of mechanics and uh, sort of gameplay to the Greenskins faction, which is the last of the base 
factions from the original Total War Warhammer 1. Um, over the course of Total War Warhammer 2's life cycle, we've gotten updates on the dwarves, who got a small crafting system, and that was mostly it. The dwarves have been pretty solid all the way through, to be honest. Um, we got an update on the vampire counts, who got a uh, who got a, like a lineage system where you can do certain things to unlock certain kinds of units and lords that are like special by investing in the different noble families of Sylvania. Uh, and then we got an empire update where, you know, you can, you can summon the elector counts as it were. The greenskins update is the most substantial of them be probably because the greenskins were really required a pretty substantial update. One of the big problems with the greenskins for a very, very long time is they basically just got housed by the dwarves. Um, because it's kind of tough to get to armor-piercing units, and the Greenskins don't really have a great economy in the first place. And I also think that Total War Warhammer 1 was much more, um, like, before sort of the end of its life cycle, before 2 came out. It was much more conservative, right? And it looked like a more traditional Total War game, where the factions were all pretty similar and had pretty similar mechanics, and you weren't going to be dealing with all that much different, right? If you play Total War Rome 2, playing Carthage versus playing Rome versus playing the Macedonian states versus playing the, you know, I don't know, the Egyptians... Um, is not all that different. They basically all have the same kinds of troops doing the same kinds of things, right? Um, in Total War, you had sort of different troops, and that would, like, influence things. But you also had these campaign mechanics um, that were just not really all that, like, they're just, like, not really all that complex. And they got way more complex over time, right? Um, to, so, to the point now where you are seeing tons and tons of mechanics being implemented into, you know, the Vampire Coast have captains that have their own horde armies but they also take settlements and they can also attack a settlement and establish a pirate cove in it and get income from that pirate cove and you know like all this other sort of uh, all this other sort of stuff and that's very cool um and thematic and all the rest um but it does leave so, sort of like the older races uh behind in a way uh, the new stuff that has come is, first of all, they get the Norska Confederation mechanic, which is probably, as far as I'm concerned, the best change of all of them. The Norska Confederation mechanic says that if you defeat the leader of another faction, you can auto-confederate that faction, just right there, right? Um, which makes a lot of sense for the Greenskin tribes, right? They are they are just fighting, and if you lose a battle, um, it kind of makes sense that you get absorbed into the into the faction of the guy that you lost the battle on. Um, and they also got a bunch of, like, new troops, including some, you know, chariots, including some more advanced monster units. One of the big problems with uh, Greenskins for a long time has been their lack of armor-piercing damage, which is part of why they get just, like, housed by the dwarves a lot of the time. Uh, they just don't have a good way to 1v1 the dwarves, or to, like, fight the dwarves, because all of the dwarven armies start out with a ton of armor, uh, sort of, like, right off the bat. Um... And then on top of that, uh, they got uh, a revamp of the WA mechanic. The original WA said that you you kind of when you reached a certain level, you generated um, like a like an AI army that had a bunch of AI troops that more or less followed you around. You could throw it at things if you wanted, but like the AI kind of sucks and it would auto resolve all its battles. And it's just like not intensely useful, but it's pretty good at just getting guys on, on the field. 
Um, the new WA mechanic is kind of simultaneously more lore friendly and more mechanics friendly. Um, what it does is when you generate enough fightiness, you can declare a WA on something, right? You don't just like WA in general. You say, I, Grom the Punch, want to take that city. And I declare, that's my target. And as you fight battles in preparation to take that city, you build up that secondary army. But it's just, like, integrated right into your army. So you essentially have two stacks right on top of each other, kind of moving together, right? Um, And depending on whether or not you complete your WA, right, if you take the city that you declared the WA on, you'll get a trophy, which has, like, an effect or whatever. uh, And then you'll get a bunch of big benefits, to like having having had completed the wa but like the wa is then over right and your fightiness will then drop to zero and you'll have to like regenerate it to do another another sort of wa all of this stuff has been fairly well received by the total war warhammer community um obviously people are really excited to see the green skins get back in the action uh and getting the updates to really sort of make them on par with the current sort of slate of characters that was like a big you know like like that was like a big deal um for uh the for creative assembly or whatever the high elves also got stuff but it's it's much more straightforward to be honest the big highlight of the high elves seems to be the free lord they're getting a uh the the free lc lord is lord imbrick the prince of dragons um he he has this thing where he goes and he confers with dragons across the like across the world or whatever um and so you can get a black dragon in your army you can get a forest dragon in your army you can you know uh interact with these dragons throughout the world and he also has a pretty unique starting location uh over on the eastern edge of the southlands kind of by where the tomb kings are okay cool um yeah, so that's 10 minutes of your update to total war warhammer to i guess yeah no that's, that's, that sounds that's, that sounds super neat um i will point out that for those of you uh who listen to this cast who have not seen it mandalore gaming did a video a very long video on uh on total war warhammer 2 um pre this dlc stuff uh where he goes over a lot of the stuff about uh about warhammer that is very entertaining to watch um you know, not with notwithstanding Buddy's uh, running commentary throughout the years uh, on the game, but uh, I would I would highlight that for people yeah, to I mean, go watch. Yeah, last will. time they released DLC, I added another hundred hours to my Steam. I wonder if uh, what's, the, what's the over under that I'm going to add? What are we at now? I'm at like six eighty five right now, I think. Uh, for total, that's World a lot. Yeah, I mean, it was my it was almost uh, my most played game for a long time but then it finally broke it when they released the last dlc with had Deathmaster snitch um and and clan eshin has always been my very favorite uh total war for yeah so 685 hours yeah yeah i mean i i'm sure that's that falls to the mighty wow beast but uh oh yeah know. i'm sure i have more than that on just baron alone <laughs> yeah uh uh, but, uh, so for, for my week, um, I, what did I do? I didn't play a ton of stuff because I've been, I've, I've been, besides playing Star Wars with you, I also played, uh, uh, my 5e game on Friday with friends, uh, various sundry friends of the cast. Um, uh, what else? Uh, I checked out Bannerlord, um, oh, I've heard about Mountain Blade 2. Yeah, 
So I was not a huge fan of the first game, and that I like never really put any time into it. Um, I started up Bannerlord. I spent some time screwing around with it. It's a neat game, but it's absolutely the type of game that I'm not going to play until it gets more updated because it's technically an early access. It's one of these things where, like, I can feel that the skeleton's there and it looks really cool, but, like, you know, the text is a little bit janky, right? Like, it's, like, very formulaic, and that might not change, but things like, you know, the invasion map is the same map for all invasions, which are, like, kind of like you sneak up on a bandit hideout, um, and that's all stuff that'll come with time, right? Like, um... Uh, but it is super neat, and I'm super looking forward to it being more polished. Um, it's, can you, can it's you def- down the some, someone told me that the mechanics of band, of of banner lore? Okay, so uh, this is something else I've been thinking about recently when it comes to Star Wars stuff, right? Um, which is that Battlefront, Star Wars Battlefront Two, the original like one that came out in like 2005 had this thing called like conquest mode or whatever where like you were kind of simultaneously playing a soldier in the battle and a but you could also like choose where the bottles are being fought in kind of like a like a 4x sense and you were trying to like conquer the galaxy or whatever um and somebody and i saw a tweet that said that banner lord is like the second coming of that which is what it's so cool is that true is that a, is that a correct assessment kind of um it's like it also kind of reminds me of uh, of Total War in this sense, in that so you play as your character, right? And your character on the field of battle will have his, you know, he'll have his sword and you'll you'll fight and you also have your men with you and they fight for themselves, but you can give them commands, right? Uh-huh. Like you know, go attack this or whatever. Um, and the combat system is is it's not super super deep, but it's 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 complex if that makes sense. Um, and that like you have you can block in four directions and like there's like actual hit boxes right like you you have to like aim your your swords so it actually hits and whatnot um but then when you're out on the overworld um you're basically like imagine if you were the head of like an autonomous army in like say a in like a total war game right like you're this prince and you wander from settlement to settlement which you don't own i think you can eventually but, like, you go there, you talk to people, you recruit more troops if you want to. You have to buy rations to feed your troops. And uh, you can also do things like, you know, oh, I know that, like, the butter here is cheap and it's going to sell for more across the world. And you can, like, pick up butter and, like, literally ferry it across the world uh-huh. and sell it for a profit. Um, there's, like, I know there's a ton of mechanics that I didn't get to. But, like, you know, like, you can take missions to, um, you know, like you know, protect villagers while they're, like, delivering their, their like, uh, their cattle to market. Or, like, you know, uh, you know, you like, some some disgruntled militia, uh, like, deserters might come and try and take the town, so you have to help the, the village um, defend. The cool thing, or the really cool thing to me, is that there are a bunch of other characters like you doing this under the AI as well. Like, they're just, like, wandering around doing their own thing. Um... And so you're, like, a part of the simulation. It's, like, good about making you feel like this world is kind of alive, right? Like, it's uh, – I think there's a multiplayer mode where you can, all, like, you know, where you can see other people like this on the map. But in terms of the uh, – in terms of, like, the single player, like, you'll be walking along and you'll see, like, oh, there's a caravan, like, with, like, a huge army attached to it that's delivering something. You could talk to them and you could be, like, uh, you know, oh, can I buy some of your stuff? Um, or you can be like, give me your stuff or I'll kill you. And then, like, they'll fight you or whatever, right? And so 
um like once it gets like like i said this like level of polish where like everything kind of fits together really well i think it'll be like a something special i think this is what was supposed to be so so compelling about the first game although like i said i never put a ton of time into it um but yeah that conquest mode thing makes sense to me but like my my bigger fame of reference is is like is, is basically like total war um okay. which i think also would appeal to you yeah um, i mean one of the things to be honest with you you know people the, there is that star wars battlefront 2 game that is out now or whatever but it has never had conquest mode um and uh or galactic conquest or whatever it's called um and i just like wish it i just like wish it did obviously uh i would get me to immediately buy the game but i think that that was always a really interesting interaction right is the conquest mode interaction and or the the like the turn-based strategy of moving your fleet around right you know hiring new soldiers all this other sort of stuff and taking territory um and uh the um the interaction of uh like getting down and playing like the first person battle by the way i just checked and uh so 685 divided by 24 would be 28 days 28 and a half days i've put into total war warhammer 2 i have just at 120 36 days played on bairn so yes the wow menace uh completely destroys total war warhammer <sighs> um so what else uh have uh, did, you, did you do anything else with your week? Uh, did I do anything else? So another thing that's been happening uh, that's, I guess, just a fun side note is I've been getting a lot of my friends into playing Hearthstone. Um, mostly, so I made a guarantee. So, okay, to, to run this back. Something that I do a lot, uh, or something that we'll do uh, the kind of as a group, is like the WoW Guild will get together on Friday nights just to kind of like fuck around, right? So we'll do old raids for Transmog, or we'll go on a big gathering night where everybody just kind of like hangs out and voice chat, and we all talk and gather gather materials for raid, or whatever else, you know, like... Um, and, uh, and very recently, I have been able to convince people to play me in Hearthstone by guaranteeing them that if they win... I'll buy him a pack, right? Um, and uh, and one of the things that makes it work is that Hearthstone now has a feature where you can borrow decks. Uh, and I have effectively a complete collection um, because I've been playing, you know, for uh, the... Because I've been playing pretty hardcore for the past two years or so. Uh, I've had a lot of gold to buy packs. I get the, you know, like the expansion bundle when it comes out or whatever. Um it, it gives people the opportunity to sort of, like, play the coolest stuff without having to do any, like, you know, without having to actually, like, buy into it, which is which is, which is is neat. Uh, but also, I win most of the games. Uh, so, it's, like, even more of a, it's even more of a, of a treat to, to actually, to actually get there. Uh, big shout out to last week, I played my friend Mard for, like, maybe, like, eight or ten matches uh before he won one because he was playing the same he was playing the same deck which in fairness to him is a very cool deck but is like the worst deck i have made um <laughs> and uh and it's and i i actually do find it like a really interesting sort of uh it, it's like an interesting sort of interaction watching uh folks kind of like acclimate to hearthstone as a game especially coming off of like magic uh, it's interesting to watch the ability to take board control happen in those sorts of games, uh, 
um, versus like the games that I'm playing right now in mid platinum uh, on like the ranked on like the ranked Hearthstone ladder. Right in mid platinum, you see a lot of trading for the board, right, and people making very like like adjudicated trades to take back the board so that more or less what what goes on is the board swings control every turn right you have control of the board and then on my turn i take back control and then on your turn you take back control and we're just kind of like fighting for the board and getting chip damage in where where you know where necessary um but uh the the interactions that I see with folks who aren't playing a lot of Hearthstone tends to be that they lose board control pretty early and have a hard time getting it back in a lot of situations. Um, and I honestly like don't really know where that where that comes from, but I just find it interesting. Uh, so I guess I wanted to bring it up. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that that makes uh, that that that's that's super neat, right? Like I I you know I obviously haven't played Hearthstone in a while, but it's, it's like this. A thing that I also noticed with Magic, right? Like that, like, you know, as you get better at the game, you, like, the, the, the way the game resolves plays differently, right? Like, um, I mean, that's just, like, kind of a matter of experience and kind of getting into it, which I think is, is part of the, the allure of those kinds of systems. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I was doing when I was playing against the Quest Mage deck um, is there's a pretty powerful secret package in that deck. With of just like a bunch of mage secrets or whatever, but because I play a lot of Hearthstone and I know that there are only seven mage secrets in standard, I can actually keep track of what secrets are up and like what they and what they are. Um, and I think like stuff like that actually makes a really big difference in in terms of like how like what lines of play get taken, right? Because um, getting your whole board wiped to a flame ward, you know, flame ward is a secret that when you take damage from a minion, you deal three damage to all minions. Um, that's something I've, you know, like you've run, you can run into where you're just like, Ooh, is that flame ward or does that counter spell? Do I test for the counter spell? You know, can I, can I test for the counter spell with the coin real quick and then make my decision? Like those sorts of, those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, uh, uh so on my end, uh, I, I kind of fell off a of rune Terra, not cause I didn't think it was fun just because like I, didn't feel like I, I didn't feel super compelled to play it. Um, I still think it's a good game. I just, you know, I uh, basically what happened was is that there's no uh, like the, like the, my login bonuses stopped. So I was like, there's no reason for me to log in today. <laughs> are there? Is, is yeah. there like quests? Like th- that's something that gets me with Hearthstone. There, there are like quests. My quests or whatever. There, there are definitely quests, but it's also kind of like I just don't feel super obligated or super. Uh, I don't feel like a, a super need to kind of like get new like I don't I don't feel like I, I really want to or, or hmm. it doesn't feel like anything I particularly want to do is like within real sight and maybe that's just because I haven't like sat down looked at the cards and tried to build a deck strategy but like um, it's not like I feel like super compelled to like build towards a deck or something oh, uh, right yet yeah I mean um, the the interesting thing for me is uh, or one of the interesting things for me. Um, is that I have gotten really attached. Typically when I'm playing Hearthstone, like in other expansions, I will get involved with a couple of different decks. But in this expansion, I have only played one deck, right? It is my one pirate quest deck that I changed, and I have, you know, whatever. I have 31 wins, 15 losses, so 46 games played just on that deck in particular. 
um, which is kind of rare for me. A lot of the times I like to sort of like spread spread things out, um, and I'll kind of like play, you know, like I'll just sort of play whatever it is uh, that I have like quests for. But yeah, I only go into rank with that pirate deck. Otherwise, I'll go into casual to like complete a quest on, you know, or like in a tavern brawl, I'll like complete my druid quest or whatever. Um, but like getting really attached to my one deck and it's one set of interactions i has been kind of a new experience for me which i think is uh honestly like pretty interesting um i don't know what one of the things that like makes that i i think it's just that the deck itself is just really compelling um yeah and i've just been like super super there's so many really neat interactions to find uh in in it and like there's 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 these wins that i've gotten where i've like really snatched victory from the jaws of defeat i posted one of the uh in the in the uh the pen and paper or no i'm sorry in the in the hearthstone thing on um on discord super secret discord yeah Yeah, yeah. which like showed like effectively a replay not like a real replay but like like a card for card replay um of a matchup that i had had versus a paladin where I got incredibly low. And I was in this situation where I was just like, if he has this, I'm dead. If he has that, I'm dead. If he has anything. I was like, I'm at like one HP for like three turns or whatever. Um, But like playing the lines right and making the right decisions in those matchups just feels so fucking good and just like super fun and engaging. Um, So, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. The last thing I want to bring up um, that I did manage to watch was uh, was uh, the Midnight Gospel, which is this Netflix original series. It's very weird and very trippy, um, and uh, might be enhanced by uh, consuming certain substances. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's by Pendleton Ward and Duncan Trussell. Um, it's basically like the the way I, the, the way I was thinking about it was like it's like. Imagine if like, so, so it's about a, a, it's this like weird kind of alternate reality where like, uh, this, this pink guy Clancy has like a universe simulator and he jumps into it and he has conversations, uh, with people inside the simulated universes, um, about different things. And he uploads it to his podcast that has exactly one listener, um, which is kind of funny, but like. Um, I found this out after the fact, but like the the conversations he has are like they're like adapted from podcasts on or Duncan Trussell's Family Hour, which is his own podcast, um, and like but they're built to fit into this like weird world, right? Like it's a lot of stuff about spirituality. It's a lot of stuff about like um, uh, like like occult type stuff, right? Like there's one episode where like it's like a fish in a bowl on like a man suit who talks about like how he's like really into magic and like this fish suit fish suit man is like piloting a boat that's got like cats as like the um uh, this guy like, cats is the crew and like he trades cats for like magical equipment and like they summon like like the it looks like, like like the arm of a hindu god to punch through the ice um and, like, he talks about, like, reincarnation and, like, magic being, like, the Western equivalent of the Eastern reincarnation tradition, which is, like, it's, like, both, like, 
super educational and like super abstract and super psychedelic all at the same time. And it's like super reverent at the same time as well. It's super entertaining. Um, uh, it's like a little bit hard to get, to get your mind around, I think, but it's, it's like super fun to watch. So I, I recommend it there. Um, uh, the last episode in particular, which I'm pretty sure the audio was taken directly from one of the podcasts. Cause I think the, uh, the person he was interviewing has passed by the time the show came out. Um, but it's like super, super cutesy too. It's got like this weird overarching plot of this character Clancy, like, you know, being very into this kind of like spiritual new age stuff and kind of being like also a failure. Um, and like, just, uh, you know, like trying to run away from his problems with his family and trying to, to substitute this in like play it some sophistication. Um, I think it's kind of like very much in some ways like a show for millennials, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, it's on Netflix. It's eight episodes long. Um, they're about a half hour each. Uh, uh, it's, uh, it, I recommend watching the first episode and I think you'll f- figure out if you like it or not from that. Um, okay. But yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I'm like looking at it on, uh, I'm like looking at it in like the previews or whatever. It's a, it's a thing. It's a yeah. thing. Uh, I actually also yeah. watched some Netflix. I finished Bojack Horseman. Uh, it's final episodes, uh, had come out a couple of weeks ago, but I finally got around to watching them. Uh, I gotta say, I'm not a huge fan of the ending of the series, but, uh, I, uh, which is a weird thing to say, cause I've been like a huge, huge, like proponent of BoJack Horseman. I love BoJack Horseman. I think it's a really great show, but I find myself in a, a really weird position of kind of like, what did any of that mean? Like what, what happened? What's the... What what am I supposed to take from this? Um, uh, do, do you think it's because like do, do you want it to have like a deeper resounding message that it didn't? Because like the end of Seinfeld is terrible, but like the show was almost like it was like it had storylines to it, but you could watch any episode individually, and so like the the finale being not great. Um, didn't like tarnish the rest of the the series. Yeah, I don't think of BoJack Horseman in that sense. Like, I think it is a it is a, a series with really good arcs of you know of this guy and like his character and what he goes through and what he learns about himself or whatever else. Um, and in other seasons, he does this thing really well, you know, uh, or like they do this thing really well, like the writers uh, of kind of like resolving like. This is the season where Bojack learns, etc., or you know, suffers this. Uh, and the, the part of it, part of what I love about Bojack Horseman is that it is truly a, an addict story, right? Of someone who wants to change, tries to change, runs into hardship, and backslides. Um, and sometimes it's, it's, it's like not even like his own fault or whatever. And that cyclical storytelling is compelling in a way uh, that, like, typical storytelling isn't, right? Like, a lot of the times in a sitcom or whatever, characters will, quote-unquote, learn lessons, but then never actually really learn the lesson, right? Um, And so BoJack is about, well, he keeps learning the lesson, but then he keeps fucking it up because he just can't get out of his, like, his cycle or whatever. Um, And then the series concludes and i'm not gonna spoil anything right and then the series concludes and i guess i was hoping for something a little bit more like 
I, I don't know, like final or whatever. Also, I think part of it is that like Bojack sort of backed its way into a a story about power and privilege and like Me Too and all this sort of stuff. But it's like a show from 2013, right, that predates all of this stuff. And now we're sort of like asked to kind of like reanalyze the way that Bojack interacts in the world. Um in that kind of context, which doesn't quite work. Actually, it's not quite about timeline, it really. It's just about the structure of the comedy itself. One of the things that makes BoJack funny is, like, when the world takes these insane turns against him, right? Where he's where stuff is happening, he's doing stuff, right? Um, and then th- just when things look like they're about to get better, they get worse in a way that's just, like, funny because you don't it's – like, it's a reversal, right? But it's, like, completely outside of his control or anyone's control, really. It's just, like, it's there for the comedy. But now, in a certain sense, we're kind of, like, made to sort of, like, backfill that those moments that were kind of played for comedy – are actually moments where he is being a, you know, a predator of some variety, which just, like, felt kind of weird and inauthentic to me. Um, so, you know. What? Yeah, honestly. I, I would be down to talk about this a little bit more if you want to, like, sit and watch BoJack and we could talk about the and we could talk about the ending in more detail. Obviously, I really don't want to spoil uh, things for folks. Uh, okay, I, I have watched, I think, the first two seasons of BoJack Horseman, so... How far behind? How much BoJack do I have to watch? Uh, to there are six seasons uh, that are 13 episodes each, except for the final season is 16. But it's like broken half and half kind of a thing. Uh, maybe not for a little while. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we have a lot. We have a lot we owe, I guess. Uh, also, yeah. it's one of those things where the, um, uh, the story – and this just drives me nuts. The story makes a huge plot point out of something somebody – tells bojack but it's off screen and you know that this is a huge momentous thing because of like his actions that surround it um but they don't actually tell you the thing which just drives me up a fucking wall i hate that it's kind of like if you know in better call saul they never actually told you what was in chuck's letter or something like that you know what i mean uh, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, I I hate that, and I, I I understand why they do it, and I understand, and I'm sure some of you will be like, buddy, it's just because they want you to imagine it, right? They want you to fill in the blanks for yourself. Fuck that, I don't I don't don't I don't want to fill in the blanks. I can fill in the blanks in other parts of the story. If you're if you are having a big climactic moment which is going to change the character, I need to know what changes him. You cannot put that work on me. Yeah, okay, that makes sense, right? Like, because because like the the thing that I immediately think of is, of course, the briefcase in in uh in Pulp yeah, Fiction. Yeah, for instance, I think that's fair. Or like, or yeah. situations where like um, it's you're in a horror movie and you watch as the the guy sneaks up on somebody, but then it cuts away and you just hear the scream from somebody else's point of view. I think that's perfectly fine, right? Because yeah. there it makes sense. There it's it's creating tension right and you don't what could have happened it is so much scarier to think what could have happened in your brain than what could have been shown off screen and that's 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 fine that's perfect if it's a plot if it's like a uh uh not a plot device a MacGuffin, right if it's if it's a MacGuffin that is motivating the characters but doesn't actually tangibly influence the plot fair enough that's perfectly cool right it is specifically that it is a thing that is a a point of dramatic change a character dramatically changes because of this thing you not telling it to me is bullshit (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh okay 
That's that 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 seems fair enough to me. <laughs> but I will, uh, if I ever get around to it, I will let you know what I think. But I think we're at about at the end of our time. Yeah. Um. Uh. uh if you'd like to 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 tell us what you think about any of the things you talked about on this today's show, you can email us at nervesplaygames at gmail dot com or pockets at com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash nervesplaygames. Uh. You can donate to us on Patreon. Uh. Rate and review us. Uh. On iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. Um, that's everything I had. But did you have anything else you wanted to promote? I do have one small thing that I that I'd like to report uh, or promote. Nick, who is one of the more active members of the Akupara Discord, uh, is finally debuting his first game, which is called Stromedia: My Misadventure. Uh, I would highly, highly recommend people check it out. Put it on your wish list if uh, if it looks appealing to you. He's been sharing development updates uh, for months now. Um, and I don't know. I just want to give him a little shout out, Nick. You're the best. Yeah. Um, send me a link, and I will put it in the show notes. Uh, uh, but with that, then uh, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.